Well, welcome everybody to Preacher Lab. This is a time and a space in which we I get to interview preachers uh, of all types and spaces and places uh, and get to hear about what they're preaching on this week and get to talk about how they came to that and their context and just get to know a little bit more about their preaching style. Um, it is the week of Sunday, October 17th, 2021. And I have my good friend, Mike Lazinski here um, with us, and he's going to talk about what he's going to preach on this week. Mike, thanks for joining us. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. First Timothy 6, 6 through 19. Uh, I'll read one verse that's kind of the crux of the passage. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you here. We don't have time for that, but I'll read you verse 9. Those who want to be rich fall into temptations and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Welcome to the Bible. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. (laughs) Oh man, destruction. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Without the context, it, it seems pretty intense. Just a little bit. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so that's the passage for this week, and the name of the sermon is Breaking the Cycle of Desire. So I'll tell you a little bit more about where I'm coming from. Uh, You might already be cringing, uh, and maybe that's fair, maybe it's not, Uh, but we're in the middle of a a sermon series on stewardship and generosity. Uh, We use the language at the church I serve, Spring of Life, uh, of generosity and giving. And so we're talking about giving of our time and giving of our resources uh, through a sermon series called Less is More. Uh, And the main argument of that series is to reject the notion that more is better. Uh, I think we often have too much, too many commitments with our time, too much stuff, Uh, And all those things can get in the way of what really matters. And so uh, the thesis of this four-week series is focusing on those things that that we do really value uh, and letting those come to the surface. So, yeah, that's what we're that's what we're talking about. Um, And that that part's great. um, But it it does come across pretty intense when you just read that one verse. Yeah. Thank you for the context. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh gosh what yeah what uh what what brought you to go this way about less is more or yeah less is more yeah so um i've been serving in churches for six years now as a as a appointed pastor and for me i found a number of the sermon series that i've heard on giving and stewardship to be pretty boring uh, they pretty much all focus on agrarian metaphors or duty. And uh, I've even heard examples of, you know, someone runs over to the light switch and turns it off and says, hey, if you guys don't give, we're not going to have the money to, t- to keep these lights on in this <laughs> church. And, and I think, golly, we're guilty of having a tiny vision of the kingdom of God oh, yeah. uh, that that all we can think about is the, the church keeping the lights on. And, and that's the way we're framing our mission. Uh, so I'm, I'm trying to push back on some of those boring ideas and do something that hopefully 
makes people think and inspires them to say generosity is actually a pathway to becoming a deeper disciple of Jesus, to having the life that you want um, instead of just striving to accumulate more, learning to be content with what you already have and what God's given you. So how how are you going to open it? Uh, because it sounds like, I mean, of all the stewardship sermons I've heard, um, it's, okay, now we're going to talk about giving. And it's your obligation. And it seems like it's just, it's a really hard thing to to get people, get people's attention quickly and create that tension really fast. Or people will just fall asleep mm-hmm. or they'll become very defensive of saying, I already give, I don't want to do this. So, right. Uh, that's a great question. I would say one of the things that I'm trying to do in this message is contextualize it because this is week two of the series. Uh, the first week was God is generous and God wants to give you an abundance. Um, we looked all the way, we looked at another scripture from the Psalms and even went all the way back to Genesis where we started. So I frame it in that context. God is generous. God wants you to have abundant life in all these different forms. And so we started by reviewing that, which that doesn't build tension. Um, but just in this case, that scripture builds yeah. tension. Yeah. I mean, whoa, <laughs> uh, there's some there's some tough stuff in there. Uh, so one of the things that I try to do as a scripture, as a preacher, is allow some of the tension to come there and almost view it as a puzzle and just openly say, you know, what does this mean? Uh, while also acknowledging uh hey, there are times when the church has gotten this wrong. Uh, There are a couple of things to acknowledge, like in the context here in Orlando, uh, there are people in the community that still are struggling because they work for Disney and got laid off for a year. And so, you know, I think it's important to have a little bit of nuance there and say, hey, I'm not necessarily, I'm preaching on the cycle of desire, but I'm not preaching to the people that were just laid off at Disney to say, you know, if that's you, call the church office. We want to help you and support you and connect you with resources. I don't want this sermon to come across as kicking you while you're down. Um, The other thing I'm planning on doing is uh, using a little bit of humor um, and sharing a story about how Madeline, uh, I was shopping for my wife, Madeline at the Pandora store. And the long story short is they tried to upsell me all this extra stuff. And they asked me questions. uh, And they said, quote, would you like to share, would you like to show your love for your wife with a Pandora forever love charm? (laughs) You know, the way, the way they frame the question is you don't love your wife if you say no to this. Uh, and, and that's part of the cycle of consumerism and desire. And I think those types of stories, uh, they can be kind of funny. And they're also very relatable because all of us have been talking to someone in a store and we buy something and they try to sell us something more. Um, part of generosity is learning to say no to that in a healthy way so that we can focus on what we actually want, or in this case, what my wife actually wanted for her birthday. She didn't ask me for a Pandora Forever Love Charm. She asked me for the bracelet. So that's what I got her. <laughs> that is, that's, what a great way. Are you, are you going to actually have like the bracelet there or are you just going to pick, are you going to show it or? 
I think that's fantastic. probably show an image, probably show an image of it. Because um, I, I, I found there are a lot of visual people in the, in my church that really like the images. And so I try to have at least one or two images every sermon, as well as some of those key verses. Like that verse, I'll put it up on the screen. I'll let everybody look at it. And then we'll go through and try to make sense of that puzzle. That's one of the ways I like to preach. I love it. I love it. Uh, that story just ties it in so well about generosity and consumerism. I think it's just just fantastic. I said no, by the way. <laughs> well, I am really glad. Or, I mean, it could be I said yes, and this was a mistake. She hated yeah, it. Sixty-five dollars, dollars <laughs> for a little, a little charm on a bracelet. Like, yeah. come on, it's just ridiculous. Um, um, but I. Yeah, I I almost fell for it though. I mean, they almost got me. Yeah, those those salespeople. Yeah, they'll get you. Mm-hmm. Consumer mm-hmm. trying to bring in consumerism. Yeah, yeah. So, let if I take a kind of a, a broad a step backwards and look at it from a whole. When you're working on a sermon and you're kind of looking at all these pieces, how do you put this, as you call it, a puzzle? What are the ways, how do you put the puzzle together? What are some practical things that you do? Yeah, so um, I learned this in seminary. Where I went to seminary, uh, I learned, you know, exegete the text, read it, study it. Uh, The process I go through is I will spend a few, you know, an hour or two uh, reading the text closely, reading multiple translations. uh, And then I, I often do this old school. Um, I will print out the passage, and then on the back of that piece of paper, I will just number exegetical insights, uh, and I'll just write out all my different insights. It could be anything, it, you know, and I just write out all those different insights um, and put them down there, and I do the same thing when I read the commentaries. I just keep the list and keep writing them out. I'll have anywhere from like 15 to 25 little insights, things that jumped out at me. And then I'll, uh, I'll go from there, read all those insights, and then kind of start to shape uh, where I'm headed. Uh, for me, I believe that the most effective sermons I've preached, uh, and this is kind of my philosophy, are one-point sermons. And so it's, it's, there's one thing that I'm focused on, and everything else has to tie into that in some way. Uh, Tim Keller uh, has this idea of saying, he asks the question, how is this passage good news? And that question has really inspired me. And so I use the language of the good news of the gospel for today is X. Um, And so, you know, for for a sermon like this one, I would say uh, the good news of the gospel is that giving leads us to contentment, acceptance, and those emotional needs that we often throw money at, if we learn to be generous, we can find healthy ways to meet those needs uh, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, And so that's how it's good news. The sermons that I find most interesting are where the good news might not make sense at first. Um, And again, that kind of ties back to your attention. Sometimes something might sound like neutral news or bad news, but it's actually good news. 
and, and trying to focus on that, I think, is what helps uh, give people something that they can actually remember after Sunday morning, you know, mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to say five things and, and people walk away saying, what just happened? Yeah. So the key for you is, isn't about finding all the things, but it's about saying, it's about figuring out what to say no to um, and say, okay, I'm going to say yes to this one thing. And all that research, all those handwritten notes, you might not use all of them, but you say, okay, this is the one thing that I want to focus on. That's the hardest part of the process. Yeah. Um, and, and in my process, it's, yeah, I've got, I've got 20 interesting things. Uh, and I'll say some of the weeks where I've underprepared or some of the sermons that are kind of clunkers, um, cause I feel like we all have them. Um, if I don't try to keep it focused, my sermons turn into what I call biblical safari, <laughs> where essentially I'll just go verse by verse through a passage and say, and on your left, uh, this is what this Hebrew word means. And on your right, uh, this is a cool connection with another psalm, you know, and, and then we keep going a little bit more and there's something interesting up there. Um, but I've found that if if the goal is to really help shape and disciple people through worship, we have to let go of all that stuff that's interesting and just focus on giving people a bite-sized piece of the gospel that they can take with them and apply and to have some form of a a challenge or action step uh, to go with them through it. Yeah. Oh, that's, I love that. And I'm going to take a big sticky note and put it on my computer and just say no biblical safaris. Cause that is, that is so helpful. So be real with me. Are you guilty of? Oh my gosh. Yes. Oh yeah. I feel like we all are. Oh yeah. Cause I, I did all this work. I, I worked so hard to do this. Yeah. I read all these exegetes. I did my exegesis work. I did all of my reading of commentaries. Um, I did yeah. the Hebrew words, the Greek words. Yeah. I did all this work. Yeah. I want to show what I've done. Right. Well, and I think, uh, I think the, sometimes it can almost be like a pride thing or a flex of like, look how smart I am. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's like, no, 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 no one cares about that. You know, yeah. what they care about is the good news of Jesus from this passage, whatever it is, and how it connects with their life. And so trying to keep it centered on that is what I, what I do. You know, this is what I'm striving for. I'll be the first one to admit (laughs) I do not hit that target every week, but that's where I'm aiming. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so your process, you start with your, your own exegesis, then you read commentaries. What, then what, what happens after that? You start shaping the sermon and is that on Wednesday? Is that what day does that look like? Yeah. So on the on the normal week, uh, I I do I do all those steps you just mentioned, and then I have some verses that are standing out at me, and I begin to take those general things and put them together. So uh, and I kind of have a general framework for how I piece together my sermon. So my hope is that by uh, by Wednesday Thursday. I, I take Fridays and Saturdays off. Um, by Wednesday, Thursday, I'll have a full outline done. And then on Saturday night, I'll preach that outline because um, I'm an outline preacher. I'll preach it and then uh, practice it again on Sunday morning. And so I will often continue to modify it slightly. Um, but my format is essentially this, like on the top, uh, engaging story or reason to care. 
hook, uh, and then I'll transition to whatever the good news of the gospel is, uh, get into the meat and potatoes of the, of the message, uh, individual pieces of scripture. You know, I usually pull out anywhere between like two to four, five verses, um, and kind of go through them. Uh, and then, um, a challenge of some sort or to try to bring it home to apply to people's lives. And then somewhere around that challenge, I'll rehash the good news, of the gospel. And for me, I put it up on the screen and it's no longer than a sentence. So it, it has to be one short, concise sentence um, for people to be able to remember it. And then I put that up on the screen both ways and then, uh, then end with some sort of vision or inspiration of, yeah, if you if you're generous, then you know for this to apply the example of this week's sermon. You know, if you're if you're generous, then you won't be on the hamster wheel of trying to keep up with the newest everything because you recognize that contentment is not found with getting that next thing. Contentment is found with appreciating what you already have. Um, so that would be the type of story that I'd try to close this week's message with. Uh, appreciate what you have and how well, how good of a tie-in does that tie into your first sermon of God is a giver of all that you have? Uh, what a good way to end. Um, yeah. So the, the thought is, uh, you know, to, to try to build in a series, you know, I've, there are a couple of different ways that I've done series here. Um, you either tell the story of, you know, one part of the story and then another part, and then another part, then another part. I did a series like that in, September with the character Joseph, and we told this story unfolding over the course of time. Um, no, that was August. Wow. <laughs> I'm getting my months confused. Um, or this one, you can kind of say, all right, we're starting with God is generous. Then we're moving to breaking free of the cycle of desire. Then after that, we're talking about um, this idea of all we have to clear out the things that choke us which is further development of this, this theme. And then after that, we'll get to the heart of giving and kind of the motivation uh, of that. So ideally, this series builds each idea, expounding upon the next and leading us to, uh, to that. And, and since we're talking about this stewardship campaign, we are doing that and this series in concert with, on the 24th, we will have an opportunity to present what we call estimate of giving cards. And we combine both uh, how you plan to give of your time in 2022 and how you plan to give of your financial resources. Um, so we try to always marry those things um, because it's, it's a holistic way of looking at it. Oh yeah. So I, I noticed that you call it estimate of giving cards. Is that intentional? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think some of of it's about skirting the baggage that people have. Um, you know, if it's a, if it's a pledge, then you're on the hook for it. If it's a commitment card, then, uh, you know, some people call commitment cards for how much they're going to give to the church next year. I've also heard commitment cards, uh, as language people use when they come to faith. Um, and so there's a lot of confusion about that language. The reason why I like estimate is, uh, 
it has less baggage. That's reason number one. And uh, number two, um, it also, we're asking people to, to do their best. And if you lose your job and you work for Disney and Disney shut down, then we re- we want to help you. And so we, in our communication, we try to we try to make that uh, apparent. And we think you know it's an estimate of giving. And when we use that language, we cast a much wider net. So we talk about you know serving, uh, participating in small groups and discipleship opportunities. You know all of that uh, is a part of how we're giving our time resources so that we can grow. That is, that is worth, that is, that is this whole interview in gold. Uh, I've never heard that. That's just so good. And as because that know that it, I didn't come up with it. I mean, no it, one else but, smarter than it, me taught I mean, me that language, but yeah, I liked it and I'm I, using it. That's fantastic because stewardship and tithes and offerings and, I mean, commitment cards, you're right. It has this like, it has a different feel to an estimate of giving. An estimate of giving mm-hmm. has a different, like, I don't know, a different spirit about it where, yeah, this is what you're hoping to give. But if you can't do that because you lose a job or life situation changes or whatnot, you move, there's no there's no shame or guilt over linked to it. Because sometimes there's shame and guilt linked to this stuff. Yes. I mean, a lot of, a lot of it is shame, guilt, and duty. Those are the appeals of like old time church stewardship. And so we're, we're trying to move away from that. And some of that's contextual uh, because the congregation I serve is a much younger congregation in a up and coming area. And this church is 19 years old. And so we don't have the old time church history that a lot of other churches do. And so I'm trying to pivot to adapt to that context. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's so good. Well, Mike, um, are there any final thoughts that you'd want to share um, with preachers who are listening about preaching, teaching? I've got one thing that I'm wrestling with and still working on. Um, uh, one of my, one of the things that I'm learning now is the importance of contextualizing the sermon within the worship service, uh, or to say it another way. Um, I think the preacher, me five years ago would have probably tried to do too much in his sermon, uh, but me now, I'm actually trying to do less in my sermon and allowing the call to worship, the prayer, the liturgy, the scripture, the communion, the offering, the benediction. You know, all of those elements of your worship service can do a lot of theological heavy lifting. And so I'm, I'm trying to take some of the pressure off of my message to remind people of that good news of the gospel, whatever it may be through all those other elements of the service so that, you know, it's reinforced through the music and all those other ways. Uh, And it doesn't just have to be about my 17 minutes of talking. Um, So that's something I'm, I'm growing in and trying to be much more intentional about that. Cause I think all of that affects how people hear the gospel proclaimed by the preacher and and how it sticks. Uh, 
when we contextualize it well within a sermon and they hear some version of the good news in something as simple as the prayer for illumination before you read the scripture. You know, if you can find a way to slide that theme in there, you're you're giving people more capacity to absorb that. And so that's been an area that I'm really growing in over the last couple of years and and something I'm excited about. So I'd encourage all the preachers out there to first take a little bit of the pressure off your own shoulders and allow the rest of the service to do some of the theological heavy lifting. Yeah, oh, that is, I've got, I wrote that down in my notes here. How do you put the sermon as a part of your worship service? Yeah, not the yeah. centerpiece. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, for most of us, the service is an hour. Yeah. And you're probably preaching, you know, 20 minutes-ish. Yeah. Uh, so you've got 40 minutes of other good stuff that that needs to be in alignment and carrying, you know, it's appropriate weight. Yeah. 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 Well, Mike, um, thanks for joining us. Uh, I do have one other question. Just a quick question. Um, Mm -hmm. I want to know what is one good book that you've read in the last year that has helped shape you as a leader, as a pastor, as a preacher? That's a great question. Um, well, I would say, uh, I'll go with the less conventional answer. You're probably not going to have other people on here recommend this book, but I, (laughs) I finished it and I read it in conjunction with the series I'm currently preaching. It's a book by Joshua Becker, who is a minimalist. And, uh, he, this book I found fascinating and some of his insights I worked into the sermon series. It's called The More of Less, Finding the Life You Want Under Everything You Own. Uh, And and Joshua is a blogger. Uh, You can find him at becomingminimalist.com. But I would would recommend this book to you. It's got a lot of things that made me think. And uh, there's some, some really good faith connections as well, because prior to becoming a minimalist blogger, uh, Joshua worked as a pastor. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Well, Mike, thanks for joining us, for spending the time with us and walking us through how you preach, how you prepare sermons. And uh, I hope that your congregation picks something up from your first Timothy passage that you're preaching this week. <laughs> I hope so too. Great talking with you. I really enjoyed our conversation. All right, man. I'll talk to you later. Bye. <laughs>